Konnichiwa, and welcome to the Code of the Cardboard Samurai, a podcast all about Magic the Gathering in Japan. In this podcast, our goal will be to inform people both around and outside of Japan what is going on in the magic scene here. I'm your host, Ryan Schwenk, the Japan hobbyist out of Yokohama, and today I'm joined by a new co-host, Lane Kaplan. So... Uh, the other co-host, uh, my, my buddy Daniel, he is currently super busy with, with work and, and family obligations. He'll be back later, but in the meantime, I, I have uh, you know, Lane helping me out a little bit as well as a, a couple other people in the near future. So let me introduce you to uh, Lane Kaplan. You know, please uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Konnichiwa, minasan, yoroshiku That is, hello everyone. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, my name is Lane Kaplan. Uh, I am a person I've been playing Magic since 1993. I started playing Magic in Japan in 2000. That's the first year I came here, and I've been back and forth in my job, traveling between countries, working between school and teaching, and uh, I've spent over um, eight and a half or nine years playing Magic here uh in different points at time and i have been a content creator for star city games uh, i first wrote articles for the dojo and uh, i've done coverage work for the mothership uh, using my old name which is eli kaplan however i go by lane now and uh i've mostly retired from doing uh creative uh, content. Mm -hmm. Although I did run for about four years a YouTube channel documenting the history of magic on a set-focused uh, theme called Ancestral Recall. You can check that out. It's still on YouTube. So uh, if anybody hasn't guessed yet, uh, Lane has a very long history with magic and he has a very long history with magic in Japan. So I'd kind of like to use today's uh, podcast to talk about what Magic the Gathering was like, kind of like chronicling, you know, how it grew and how it changed over the years since, you know, uh, Lane started playing back in 2000, you said? Yep. So uh, the I guess the topic of, or sorry, the title of today's episode is going to be Once Upon a Time in Aichi. The local history of MTG in Japan, and and that's where you were living, right? Yeah, I was living of uh, in two thousand to two thousand two. I was living in a small town in semi-rural Japan called uh, Handashi, mm -hmm. uh, which is about uh, it's about 35, 40 minutes outside of Nagoya on the Meitetsu line uh, in the Chita area. So yeah, this is kind of dead smack in the center of Japan. This is also, Ryan, where you were living yeah, uh, in this yeah. region for quite a while. I didn't move there until 2010, 2011. And I didn't really start playing Magic until I came back in 2010 as well. I was playing, I was very casual before that. So you were playing when I wasn't playing, basically. Yeah, uh, the only time I've ever taken off in Magic is from around 1996. 
during that lull between Ice Age and Alliances, and I came back uh, about a year and a half later during Tempest Block, uh, and I was uh, playing at the Arena League, which is the predecessor of Friday Night Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we did have recorded match results and we did send in uh even though it wasn't sanctioned magic we sent uh paperwork to the dci and there was one arena vanguard season uh, are you familiar with vanguard at all i have no idea so that's that's why i have you on here it's a history episode <laughs> <laughs> okay uh well this is before i got to japan uh but vanguard in th- this is a casual format from 1996, 1997, 1998, and uh, Wizards used to print a gift box, and it had uh, like a full cover, uh, a full color art long box with about like four to six packs in it, and they also had these oversized cards. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were the very first oversized cards that Magic had made. Uh, along with a couple of the traditional oversized cards. These are the same cards uh, as, like, the... Uh, Giant at, Commander ones they had? Or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, as well as the uh, Plane Chase cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the very first uh, casual tools were, were Vanguard cards where you had the crew of the Weatherlight, uh, characters like Gerard and Hana and Tangarth, and you started off with a modifier to your life. So like Tangarth, uh, you started off with a hand size of six, and uh, I think seven extra life for starters, mm-hmm. and all your creatures gained haste. And so, so it's basically like a multiplayer kind of different way to play standard, even though it wasn't really standard back then. Uh, it wasn't so a different way to play the game. Uh, it was a different way, although uh, in the uh, Arena League, it was actually specifically designed for one-on-one. And it, uh, I was really, really abusive with a card called Baron, which used a, a lot of come-to-play effects on creatures. And uh, Baron had the ability, uh, zero mana, sack a permanent to return target creature to its owner's hand. So I, so I would play a really broken uh green red deck with things like deranged hermits which mm-hmm. use squirrels to replay the hermit to get more squirrels and avalanche riders so i could repeatedly nuke enemy lands and so yeah. let's 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 kind of talk about uh, we, we know <laughs> about what was going on in the usa but i want to yeah. focus more on what was happening in japan at this time so this was okay. right that, that's what you were doing right before you know you came to japan but after you came to japan what was magic like so let, okay. let's talk about that 2000 2001 2002 can you kind of explain the magic scene you can talk about it a little bit yeah so uh there uh i i very rarely went shopping outside of aichi but in aichi in 2000 2001 uh there were about three or four hobby shops there were no major huge chains uh such as hobby station Mm -hmm. or full comp yellow submarine did exist however it was uh, a shop that mostly sold like gotcha and like small little figures uh and they had a small smattering of board games and trading cards on the side 
Mm-hmm. So uh, they haven't quite. T- uh, so they're 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 more of like the current media shop mm-hmm. that uh, like I an see. animates or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So they weren't really too much into the trading card business at the time. So like, how how difficult was it to find Magic the Gathering cards back in two thousand? Well. Uh, in my small town of Hamdashi, there was one store, which uh, there still only is one store, uh, Yukon, which was right by the main station at Chidahanda. And in Nagoya proper, uh, if you wanted packs, you could buy packs at Yellow Submarine, and you could buy packs at a couple bookstores. But in terms of shops that sold singles and had dedicated space to sit down and play, uh, there was Big Magic. Ooh, they were there back then, huh? Yeah, Big Magic was there in 2000, 2001. I remember hearing about it soon after it opened. I think that was when it opened, although I could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it tended to be a lot of... Uh, the, the, the stores almost never were just magic stores or just trading card stores uh for example yukon in honda had about a third of its floor space uh for uh used uh console games and also a third of its floor uh reserved for the japanese pc game Mm -hmm. uh market which i i back then i mean nowadays there's actual you know regular games but well, I'm wondering, did they even have, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon cards? Probably not, right? That was before that. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! at that time was... Uh, it, that got big in around 2001, 2002. But there wasn't a lot of dedicated shop space to sell it that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Um, there were shops that were selling uh, cards for arcade battler, arcade card battlers. Mm-hmm. Like the ones where you slide on top or you put them in the, the system or something like that? Yes, yes. So there were some uh, early versions of those. Uh, if those For those of you who don't, uh, in the English-speaking world, uh, Sony tried one of these called Eye of Judgment back in 2002, 2003. That was... Uh, uh, co-produced with wizards uh obviously it didn't do too well since hmm. very few have probably heard of eye of judgment but yeah arcade card battlers were uh were, were there were a few shops that did carry those and magic and Yu-Gi-Oh and pokemon i mean pokemon i know pokemon came out in 97 98 well, that uh, was Yu- the original game or was that the the card game the card game. The card game. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! I think gets released in 99, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, um, the places where I was buying trading cards, uh, such as Big Magic, and there were there was a store, I have no idea what name it was, but there, there was a second store in Osu that was a third floor walk-up uh, that that had a terrifying sign outside that says, like, no foreigners allowed. Foreigners come in here and die. And it turns out that there was another floor which had the money laundering business. And Uh, so, anyway, I I would go to that shop and I saw that (laughs) sign and I was like... And 
and it was kind of creepy. Uh, and then I realized, okay, it's probably some other business because I walked up to the magic store and went in and bought. They, they had a couple singles. Yeah. Um, there was another gotcha store that also sold a couple magic cards where I used to buy uh, Portuguese fourth edition black border and Chinese mm-hmm. black edition fourth border. Uh, that they had a lot of unusual uh, imported stuff that wasn't like, but the stores then. Well, every... like where did where did people play? Like we've talked a lot about like what kind of stores you could buy the cards at, but did people actually play back then? And if so, like where? Um, the places where people could play, there were uh, two places with, uh, with with playing area. In the, there was Big Magic, and there was a third floor walk up with the Yakuza building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that building's been knocked down since. Uh, but the uh, and then people would congregate at the uh, big uh, pre-releases and at PTQs. Uh, PTQs were big affairs. We're talking around 150 to 200 people at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, and this and the pre-releases usually got about 350, 400 people in uh, the big event halls, uh, such as um, Fukiage Hall. And yeah. sometimes they had them down at Port Messe. Higashibetsuin, maybe. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, some of the PTQs were at Higashibetsuin, actually quite a few okay. were. Yeah. So, well, like, how many? Well, like, another. I mean, you told me about the PTQs, but like, let's say just in general, how many people were playing at these events at Big Magic and whatnot? Uh, so, a Big Magic Sunday event would get about forty to fifty people. Uh, then afterwards, there would be uh, one or two drafts, uh, generally speaking. So, uh, I would say two thousand to two thousand two, it was pretty big. Then, when I came back in two thousand four. Uh, this is during Mirrodin era standard, and it had shrunk. Uh, Mirrodin era had shrunk a lot of the weekly events down to around 30 or 40 uh, mm-hmm. due to the terror of Affinity. Uh, <laughs> Affinity was, in standard, was probably the most oppressive deck except for, like, the Urza Saga Tolarian Academy decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Affinity, there were there were very few matchups uh, that could be better than for that. There were very few matchups that could get up to fifty five or sixty percent versus Affinity. Did you did you often play in uh, Big Magic in in Nagoya on the weekends, or did you usually go to your local shop in Honda? Like how how did you interact with players during that time? Um, so my, the office where I taught was like two minutes walk from Yukon. So I would spend my lunch hour and, uh, evening breaks, uh, there, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking on the weekends and during the week. So I was in that store basically killing time all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the weekends, uh, if, the they they had weekend events in Honda only once a month, uh, but Big Magic ran every week. So I went to Big Magic about twice a month. And it's kind of Sunday expensive, events. right? It's like what, five hundred yen one way, four hundred yen. Uh, yeah, around that. Mm-hmm. 
plus the entry fee, so you're paying like maybe twenty dollars, basically American, just to go up there and play. Eh, it wasn't that much. Uh, the the entry fees were only like five hundred yen. Okay. So, uh, and and it was and also I got to hang out in Osu, which was a really cool neighborhood. So we talked about PTQs. We talked yep. about the the local scene. What about Grand Prix back then? You know, when you first started. When when was the what was the first Grand Prix you played in in Japan? Uh, first Grand Prix I played in in Japan was also my first, uh, and that was uh, Kobe, mm-hmm. in or sorry, not Kobe. It was Kyoto in the summer of two thousand. Uh, it was an extended format Grand Prix. There were about uh, five hundred players. Wow, five hundred! <laughs> it's like a PTQ now. That's yeah. in my perspective, five hundred is still a heck of a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it's like a but, side event at a Grand Prix now. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the uh, that that event, I uh, met Ron Foster, and mm-hmm. uh, I had brought my laptop, and I did a little piece for Star City talking about the extended metagame. Uh, and uh, I got to talk to Ron Foster because I was very nervous, and I got to meet uh, a couple of the reporter people. Uh, Keita Mori, mm-hmm. who was the head of uh, the who who was the person running Japanese coverage at the time, and he was at every event uh, running mm-hmm. the uh, running both the Japanese and helping coordinate for the English language coverage. Uh, of course, all so- this coverage is text based. Just to be clear. Uh, you had like interviews and metagame analysis and feature, feature match write-ups, so there was no web video. For our listeners that don't know who Ron Foster is, can you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Ron Foster is a really important guy. Uh, he started working uh, in Wizards in 1999 as their uh, APAC regional coordinator. APAC standing for Asia Pacific and Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was there, the liaison with a lot of the distributors throughout uh, Japan and China and Korea while it was running uh, to get a magic product to the distributors so that they could get on sale. And he would also talk to a lot of, uh, and he also helped coordinate the Grand Prix and train mm-hmm. judges. Uh, and uh, he trained uh, quite a few judges in 98, 99, 2000 uh, to help get them up to speed because during the 96, 97, 96 to 99, there was a lot of uh, what, what would be the Wild West of rules mm. enforcement in Japan. A lot of judges said, okay, well, I'm here to process results and make sure that the matches happen but there, there wasn't a lot of comfort in the table judging and uh, finding cheating and ensuring fair play that uh, we currently have an excellent system of in Japan now. Well, so it's kind of like not only Japan, but like all over the world at that point was kind of the wild west of judging, right? Absolutely. Uh, in I would say 98, 99, you have writers like Chris Picula uh, being the most celebrated and the most out, uh, the most outspoken person uh, who helped uh, fo- who helped focus on making sure that magic was a fun and honest game and that it was uh, 
that that the, that cheaters were he he would point out how cheaters were getting caught but i would say in japan there's a different impetus for uh managing uh judging in that players were very respectful and very honest uh, in their overall, behavior yeah. overall like but uh, because there was a sense of, I don't, uh, it would be rude to call you out for cheating, it's rude to call a judge, mm -hmm. then people would be very hesitant to do so because that would impute upon the reputation of the person that they're playing. And so you did have uh, quite a few people who uh, stacked decks or were intentionally slow playing and, uh, in fact, I, names will not be named <laughs> uh well yeah. the okay fine uh i, I mean there's one <laughs> there's okay look there's one one name of a player who's not active anymore okay but uh who was japan's 1998 1999 champion uh his name's toshiki tsukamoto and in 2001 at what was for about five or six years the largest magic tournament of all the up to that point which was a uh, 2001's uh, grand prix um grand prix uh, i think it's kobe no okay no. uh yeah yeah, yeah it was grand prix kobe <laughs> uh it was the largest tournament in 2001 had 1349 players hmm and there was a feature match that I was doing. I was sitting at the table, and I was watching just the most blatant s slow play on the part of this guy. And uh, he would take two minutes to check his library, count his opponent's library, check a graveyard, and every procedural action, he was taking 30 seconds. And I was... And uh, although I was sitting there typing and uh, reporting, like I was able to uh, type a message to the judges and I would gesture to a judge and I typed in English, go get another judge because so-and-so is cheating. Mm -hmm. But the judges themselves were, t they said, well, I'm not the person who, who's judging this table. I don't feel comfortable handling this situation. Uh, so they interviewed me after the match, which... Uh, was a 1-0 result in favor of Tsukamoto, and they gave him a uh, game loss for his following match, mm -hmm. which uh, that would not have been the way that uh, it, it would be done today. Uh, he would have been busted very hardly for just obvious stalling. So aside from like you know those types of people you know the slow play and the people that stack the decks, what would you how would you describe the overall pro scene back then, like in the early two thousands? Um, who who I, was I would, active that you would you know? Uh, I say there's a lot of rapid growth. Uh, there's a huge shift from ninety eight ninety nine uh, when the Japanese pros were generally considered to be buys at the pro tour or even like uh the apac regionals why, why is that uh the japanese professional community had a couple bad habits uh in that first of all everyone played blue everyone played oh. blue everyone played blue counter spells uh blue white wrath 
was the most popular archetype among professional players, and a lot of the game was just knowing how to outplay your opponent uh, with control. So there was, uh, the Japanese metagame very often was uh, ver uh, pure aggro versus pure control. No mid-range, no combo. Uh, mid like uh, combo sometimes was played, but uh, in 98, uh, a lot of combo was still considered janky, not just in Japan, but outside. Uh, but then, in Extended, people started getting used to combo, and and Extended had a pretty healthy metagame. Uh, and then Wizards, starting with Invasion Block, printed more cards that made mid-range viable strategy. So, let's move on a few years later now. Let's kind of like update everybody on what's been happening. So, that, that was like 2001, 2002. Yep. Um, let's move on to like 2004 or 2005, so a few years later. Mm-hmm. How did things change from back when you first came over in Japan to, you know, like, like I said, four or five years later, you, you said the judge situation maybe changed or? Uh, yeah, the judges uh, had uh, gotten a lot better. The judges had been much more comfortable being active and walking around and uh, just giving out pointers to help speed up play and uh, giving cautions uh, there was a bit of a movement. Almost, uh, there, there were a lot of tournaments where people were DQ'd for accidentally drawing extra cards, uh, some of which I think were a bit innocent. Uh, in mm -hmm. that, uh, and this was a global trend with judging as well. Uh, I've, there, there was the, uh, we need to make sure that uh, Magic is a game of carefully enforced rules. Uh, it is Integrity. Yeah. Uh, then around when uh, the uh, around 2006 2007 when stores are starting to get their own pre-releases and Friday Night Magic is continuing to grow, the judges are also getting the they, they, they realize that they had overreacted slightly and that we really need to make sure that magic is a fun experience. That is mm -hmm. keep you know keep it professional, keep it fair, but also, Make sure to make the game as fun as possible and don't make players focus on winning or losing games based on judge calls. Yeah. Because, and, and at that point, a lot of the game's culture and the game's expectations have been sit down, have fun, uh, have some of the best competition and one of the best mind games and one of the best fun games out there. So uh, I feel like that was, as video games were continuing to uh, suck up a lot of uh, people's time and online games were growing, Magic was becoming a, a thing that, it was still a devoted hobby, but the people who were playing fun was the most important thing. And I'd say uh, the Japanese community very much had swung towards people being competitive, laying it all out, having fun. So competition definitely got better during that time, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, from 2000 to 2008, you see the Japanese teams at Worlds and at, uh, lots of pro tours getting, uh, picking up a bunch of top eight slots, uh, dominating Grand Prix both in Japan and outside. So, I mean, even today, if you look at 
say a Grand Prix in Manila or a Grand Prix in Hong Kong or in Australia, you're usually going to see at least three Japanese mm -hmm. players in top eights on average. Uh, but that's really where that dominance grew. Uh, I would say around 2010 is when the rest uh, when, when the rest of the region tends to start picking up and get and coming back and being very close to Japan's level if not if not equivalent the other Asian countries you mean yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about like the sets you know like how did the Japanese players kind of receive you know a lot of the sets that were coming out at that time what were the other formats like I'm, I'm guessing what modern started 2008 was it yeah in that ballpark because uh, yeah 2004 2005 to 2008 uh, extended wizards made a bunch of changes to it and the card base had gotten a little unwieldy uh, old extended definitely had issues of card availability uh, mm -hmm. in Asia, although not Japan. Japan, one thing I do want to remark about is that 98, ni uh, 97, 98, 99, 2000, lots of Japanese vendors are going to European and American GPs and buying up tons and tons and tons of cards from the first four years of Magic's history. Uh, they bought a lot of cards that were not available in Japan. I've seen way more Moxen in stores in Japan over the years than I've ever seen in North America. Hmm. Well, stores uh, are so far apart in the USA. Mm, uh, I'd say on the East Coast, not... Uh, well, yeah, you're coming from the Midwest. I would say yeah. the East Coast uh, has a bit more in the way of stores but i would say generally speaking vintage cards like power nine uh if you're looking for it i feel like there's there's of quite a large supply in japan uh so uh, i am always impressed when i go to osaka or when i took trips to tokyo and it seemed like i could see sets of moxen as well as support uh, like moats and mm -hmm. Blood tabernacles and, and yeah yeah and those things were not that or even things like candelabra of tanos like i see lots of candelabras in japan and not to say that they're cheap they're actually they've always been expensive but that's because uh japanese the people who invest in vintage collections tend to be older well-off players with yeah. quite a lot of disposable income which that isn't the case in the u.s or europe as much so during that time um like you said uh the old extended got unwieldy unwieldy um modern started in about 2008 uh was it as popular as standard was everyone still playing standard was everyone playing limited like what was like the most popular format during that time uh standard standard has always been i am well from 2004 to 2008 standard and limited uh, Limited was got really, really big during uh, Meriden and Kamigawa block it, for one reason, because people didn't enjoy playing against Affinity. Uh, Kamigawa, the reception for Kamigawa, I have to say, uh, 
because the set represents Japan, um, it it was not what the Japanese market had expected. Mm. Uh, in that I feel that a lot of the imagery and the beautiful uh, the beautiful spirits as well as the grotesque spirits uh, it, it, it kind of trampled on a lot of the iconography of uh, traditional Japanese religion and that it's kind uh, of based on Shinto right Yes, yes. And I feel that the players were a little uncomfortable because it wasn't done with a Japanese sensibility. Hmm. Uh, in that it was uh, foreigners looking at like uh, Miyazaki movies yeah. and pulling from that. The stuff that they liked the most and not the stuff that Japanese people enjoyed. So there was no real... There, there wasn't a heavy influence of shonen manga art style so hopefully if we ever go back to kamigawa in the future they'll have uh the japanese players more involved um it's not to i don't want to criticize wizards by saying that they didn't have japanese artists involved they did but i feel like the ones they did were more focused on classical and aesthetics rather Mm -hmm. than uh what would be fun pop culture uh, and part of that is Wizards didn't want to make an anime or manga style game. Yeah. Which, now that we have the uh, War of the Spark uh, alt art planeswalkers, and <laughs> it seems like the reception on that, you know, may. I, I, I feel hmm. like that that's a really strong argument that Wizards should have said, uh, you know, let's go with the popular thing in Japan. But. Uh, I mean, I think there's there's a good comp- compromise somewhere in between anime and the Western art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. in the future we'll see that. Another thing I wanted to ask, so, you know, we talked about this in the early history when you were over here in 2000. So what's happening to the stores around that time, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007? Uh, there's more of them. Uh, you do get Yellow Submarine starting to have a single uh, single section, I think. There's a couple hobby stations that open up, uh, and there, there's a few more shops that carry magic singles, as well as uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, uh, and some of the other trading card games are getting uh, a lot of floor space as well. So I would say it's the Japanese TCGs growing. Kind of a boom back then? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the in the in the mid aughts, you have the uh, a lot of Japanese uh, card games besides Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon picking up steam, and there's more competition, and that opens up more floor space. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, the economy is not that good. the The Japanese economy is not that good at the time, and the uh, businesses haven't quite figured out that when you just have an empty real estate space that selling trading cards tends to be a productive use of that store space and it doesn't require a lot of resources to run out of mm-hmm. so um I, I i think the real boom though is uh the real boom in stores happens a little more from 2008 to some point in the 2010s 
Uh, unfortunately, though, I do have to note that uh, I left Japan in 2008 to head back to uh, the U.S. where I got my master's degree. So I, I, I do have a massive hole from 20, uh, 2008 to 2015, uh, 2016. Yeah, seven years. So, yeah, okay, I think that's a good segue into the next part. So what happened after you left Japan? Oh, I went back to the States and I got my master's degree in uh, mm -hmm. applied linguistics. And I was working for a number of educational organizations. Uh, I worked with a lot of uh, the migrants and uh, refugee community teaching English for citizenship. Uh, I got a uh, I was adjuncting at the University of Pennsylvania, among some other places, after I got my master's degree. And then I worked for a year in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I have played tournaments, uh, not, not Grand Prix, just local tournaments. Uh, I've played local tournaments in Helsinki, Finland. I've played, because I lived in Finland in 94 to 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played uh, in one of Saudi Arabia's like two magic stores uh, where there was like 15 or 16 people and there was like uh, three Filipinos. And it, it, it was a very international mix of mm -hmm. people working in Saudi Arabia uh, because the, the government, I, I, I don't think the government necessarily, uh, it, it, it doesn't, I don't think there's an official way that you could get a distributor for magic cards in Saudi Arabia. You have to have people bring them in or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, when you were back home in uh, Philadelphia, you were also still kind of playing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, there There was one, I played in a bunch of Grand Prix and a lot of Friday Night Magics. Uh, I had one Grand Prix where I went 9-0 on the first day. Uh, in Atlantic City, nice. But uh, the, I mean, the American Magic scene was a uh, was pretty awesome. Uh, I was playing where there were like 80, 90 people uh, for F and M's, generally mm -hmm. speaking. So that was. Pretty I've good. never had that experience. I mean, I guess if you go to Hallelujah in Japan, you'll have that kind of experience. But well, I've never is... actually been to a ninety-person F and M. <laughs> Well, Hallelujah uh, probably is bigger than that, but probably by double. But uh, Philadelphia's Red Caps Corner, uh, I want to plug it. Really, right, really fantastic people with an inclusive community, very welcoming. Uh, one of the best places for people to play in that city. And I want to say around this time is when you found my blog, The Japan Hobbyist, I think. Like about 2010 when I moved to Nagoya and I started writing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you were uh, you were working at the company that I used to work for. In the yeah, it's funny. So, so we we, we were uh, talking and uh, just just reminiscing about. Uh, yeah, I think we the, started talking on Facebook, and you know, and then yeah, but you, you gave me some some tips and pointers about you know playing in in Nagoya and the, you know the players to to meet and talk to, and we know a lot of the same people now. Yep. Yep. Like Goto-san, right? Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, Goto, you say uh, he's he's a pretty good uh, semi-pro player, maybe pro player. I guess semi-pro. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he, he, I'm pretty sure he's been silver f 
for like three years in the he's last decade. Top eight of a couple GPs. Yep. And the thing is, you knew him when he was like how old? Oh, I knew him when he was in high school. Uh, yeah, he he comes from Hamdashi, so mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I would see him pretty much uh, when I was doing free doing free play on weekends and at every tournament. And uh, he and a couple of his other buddies and I. Uh, they, he he was the guy. He and his friends were the guys who helped me get to a bunch of grand prix, including uh, not not Osaka because I I did I I by the way I have a top eight maybe maybe Kyoto or something like that the closer um, ones not just closer ones but uh, Ehime which is in mm-hmm. Shikoku wow and yeah 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 I didn't, so, I didn't know they had grand prix there yes they did uh, yeah for those of you who are listening uh, Ehime is uh, one of the four uh, prefectures. Islands of Shikoku. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. One of the four and, prefectures. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, uh, this is in 2005, and that Grand Prix had 550 players. And there was a 70 player. Uh, I didn't do great in the main event there, but I did win the uh, PTQ uh, on the Sunday there. So, Kamigawa Block was very, very good to me because I got the Grand Prix top eight. And uh, PTQ win, so I qualified how many, for b- both limited pro tours. How many Grand Prix in total would you say you've been to in Japan? Oh, uh, I'd say probably like sixteen or seventeen. And what was the best place that you played, and what was the worst place you played at? Okay, like not 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 for results, but just like wow, this is a dump, and this is a great place. Uh, okay, um, the worst place I played, uh, was, uh, Grand Prix Sendai in 2001, because, uh, Sendai, uh, I, I flew there, which was awesome, uh, it was the only Japanese Grand Prix I've flown for, uh, but there was a blizzard with about, wow. <laughs> uh, th- there was a blizzard in town with about 35 or 40 centimeters of snow on the ground, that's about, uh, a f- that's about 15 16 inches mm-hmm. and uh yeah and uh Japan for me doesn't really have snow trucks either unless you're no 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 uh and the 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 buses were shut down so i walked for about two miles in the snow to the venue now i'm from northeast pa and it's i'm no problem yeah, yeah snow is not that big a deal for me i enjoyed it uh and i was i was properly dressed but I was standing outside the uh, the train station watching people come out and like it's just completely permafrost ground. And so there would be 20 people who walked out of the station in uh, in five minutes and 15 of them would be falling on their asses. Wow. And some of them were really painful falls too. Yeah. But I lived in Finland for a year. I know how to walk on ice, no problem. Yeah. I can walk on ice for all day. And uh, <laughs> so, so that was the worst place because of the snow. What about the best place? Best place? Oh, uh, what area did you really like, or what location, GP location, did you really like? Um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Kyoto. Uh, the venue that they used to have for Kyoto, and I, I was there like three or four times. Uh, in 2004, uh, it's pretty close to the trains to the Shinkansen station, mm-hmm. and there's some really nice shops. Uh, Kobe also, 
the venue was like right in the downtown area and there were there were some Be- really before nice before they moved them to like the boondocks yeah 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 because the venue costs have gone up by a ton but yeah just like it had a bunch of really nice restaurants and ron foster took me and rk post uh out for dinner uh nice nice yeah uh and uh, I'm I'm gonna try to get in touch with Ron to try again for your show because he'll be a massive get if you can get him. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're helping us out and co-hosting, we can come up with some uh, some topics I think to talk to him. But I think that'd be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while we're on the topic of you know like the good and bad places, let's just talk about in general like what kind of memories, good memories, did you have of playing Magic in Japan? Uh just great memories um i have to say like when you're when you're playing with a bunch of uh when you get to know a bunch of japanese players uh especially the like the crew from hondashi and Mm -hmm. when i came back in 2004 to 2008 i was living in nagoya proper but i would still meet up with them for tournaments and we would still have lunch and dinner afterwards and socializing with them uh it was a the the people are just really cool and friendly went oh there's one guy there was one guy who played at big magic and i know that he had become a buddhist monk wow so uh he so one of the things he had done is uh as a pass uh, he had uh sworn a vow of pacifism and so what he did in magic is he swore off attacking. He would build standard decks and extended decks that <laughs> would not win that that would not win with combat as a mechanism. He would play wow. creature he would play creatures for defense, just to be clear, uh, but he would never steal anything from his opponents. Uh, mm-hmm. all of his win conditions, generally speaking, were decking. Uh-huh. Uh and his signature card was Zer's Weirding. Uh, wow. Are you familiar with Zer's Weirding? I know the name. I don't know what the, what it does. Okay, so this was originally printed in Ice Age. It's had a couple of reprints. It's three blue for an enchantment. Uh, all players uh, play with the top card of their library revealed. And whenever a player would draw a card, the other player may pay two life to uh have that uh to have that player discard it instead of drawing it Mm. so basically uh you get to choose what your opponent draws and doesn't draw so uh playing this guy like discard 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 uh he didn't usually play black Uh, i feel like black was uh, just not a, a spiritually pure enough color for him uh he mm-hmm. was always playing bant colors uh but yeah basically he would make sure that uh his win condition was having uh his opponents uh lose uh lose to their own greed and vices that's funny <laughs> yeah it was uh and i got paired with him a bunch of times and Oh, it was a struggle each and every time, but he was a really cool. But you know what? He was having fun. He was enjoying the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he was doing it on his own terms. And I have so much respect for him. I feel so embarrassed that I forget his name. That's a good story, though. Yeah. Um. So, let's 
let's go to like the later years you know like you said you you were gone until 2016 you came back 2016 you've been here for about three years now um what were the big changes you noticed when you came back after that you know uh, that few years uh not vacation but the hiatus well first of all oh my god there are so many places to buy and sell magic cards and there's a lot more uh places for people to sit down and play as well Mm -hmm. um it is really stunning uh the you know i the place where i live now outside of yokohama is kind of a I mean, it, it's not a big city, but there's uh, and there's a mom and pop sh- store which only sells cards. But there's two places to sit down and play, uh, and they run F and M's every weekend, and they also run uh, showdowns on the weekends as well. And uh, I like Nagoya went from 2008 to 2016 from like maybe four or five stores to like 20 something. Yeah and the, it, it just snowballed uh and i feel that um the young people today are still like the high school students and the junior high school students they're playing a lot of the dbz's and like the weiss schwartz's mm-hmm. and they and they hear about magic and magic doesn't look cool to the junior high school students it's not explosive it, it's, or Yes. It doesn't have sexy women on the cards like all those other ones. Yeah, that's something that that that's something I did that's not another topic see. That's another topic that I that <laughs> it, it took day. some time. <laughs> hey, I'm not one to judge if people yeah. are into that, you know, that's totally oh, yeah. cool. None of my it's business. Fine. But it, it, not in a competitive <laughs> arena though. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I'm just saying th- things need to be tasteful, but uh, yeah. yeah, the but I the young people in Japan every like every kid in junior high school and a lot of my students' kids they play card games and Magic is the one which they graduate to if mm-hmm. they really are into the mechanics and want to be competitive. And I think that's one of the reasons why so you have so many good players that are like even though like it's the first time playing magic they know card games because mm-hmm. they've played them all their lives and mm-hmm. it's really easy for them to pick up on you know the techniques and, and whatnot mm-hmm. 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 yeah one interesting thing that uh i was uh i was at a european gp and there were co- there was a japanese player at the feature match tables i i my i think it was mori Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the judges asked me uh, at the feature match table, why is he tapping the table? And I said, oh, oh, he's tapping the table because he he's working it like an abacus. He's doing math in his head. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, what? Because mm-hmm. he, because the, uh, he, people here, they, there are people who take abacus classes so that they can do math like complex mathematics and complex formulas in their heads and some I've people are doing how to do that but yeah i've seen that yeah and uh there are quite a few japanese players i see who are tapping the table just to work out like what's the probability of the answer that they're going to draw and so i was i told this uh 
Portuguese judge that he said, "Oh my God, Japanese mm-hmm. players are crazy." Okay, so I think one last question, and then maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up here. So, you know, you came back. You said you, you're not really as competitive anymore. So, what does the future hold? Like, what, what's gonna, how how is Magic gonna be in your life in the, you know the next few years or so? Oh, I'm perfectly happy playing standard and go, uh, going to Grand Prix. I enjoy cubing. Uh, I I enjoy building cubes. Although getting around to play cubes. Eh. I'm kind of lazy in the social elements, uh, and I I really enjoy talking with people on Twitter. Uh, I've be- I personally have become a huge fan of a lot of the Vorthos elements of the community with uh, people like the Vorthos cast and Command Cast and the Lorgoifs. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean I, I, that's like the Ancestral Recall um, YouTube channel that she made is like all about the stories and the characters and the details of the sets right my channel no no my channel was very uh melvin-y. it was very mechanically focused uh talking about the history i do talk about the history and the mechanics i'm oh, sorry i do not talk so about, much lore yeah i i briefly cover the lore what you need to know uh-huh. but uh i was much Just more talking yeah, I would talk about what was the cool part of vanishing, or what was the cool part of phasing, or how did banding work, and what mm-hmm. does it look like when it's on the table, and why should you put these cards in your historical cube? Gotcha, um, gotcha. Or what was the uh, set like for standard at the time? So that was what my YouTube channel was about. And now I'm actually getting a lot more into the story. And also, I, I I enjoy being on Magic Twitter, uh, Magic Reddit, not so much, but Magic Twitter is full of awesome people, and they've helped me a lot, uh, just socializing and get, getting back in touch with people back home as well as around the world. Uh, I remember back in, uh, the first time I was in Japan in 2001, uh, I was very active in uh, MIRC, which was uh, internet, re- internet relay chat. Hmm. And uh, the magic community from around the world. Uh, I was stuck in Japan on September 11th, 2001. And mm-hmm. uh, it was the morning of the 12th for me. And the world was going crazy. And the people were able to... Well, it was morning in the U.S. And it was late at night. And the people the magic community there just helped me so much through it all yeah yeah so this and then when i was playing magic the next day in the local stores like the japanese player said like did you know anyone who got hurt Mm. and i was and like the people who you meet in magic aren't just there for magic there's the social element yeah and without them i mean living here would have been so much harder and i mean and that's another thing too like i i came or i went to nagoya i didn't know anybody you know i moved there but i played magic and the first store i went to i i, I met people and i continued to meet people there and then I mean, I got involved in the larger you know uh you know groups like play groups that were in the area and you know i, I met more and more people and yeah, yep. without without magic, it, it would have been a lot more difficult, I think, to to live in Japan. 
Well, as a foreigner, since you stand out, uh, some people, and I would say a lot of the magic community here tends to be very outgoing and curious and communicative mm -hmm. uh, and willing to make friends with foreigners because in many cases they want to practice their English, which is totally a legitimate thing. I, I think that's great. Uh, I find that when I was in Philly, it took me a little longer actually to make some good friends uh, in some cases, but uh, yeah, Japanese players are fantastic people by and large. Uh, yeah, the, the number totally of bad, uh, the number of bad stories I've I have about people here, I can count on half my hand. Yeah, I've never really had a problem with any Japanese players whatsoever. I mean, I know people say like, "Oh, this pro is a cheater or whatnot. You can't trust him or not or whatever." But overall, these people have been really good people and i think a lot of them the people that have you know had you know bad experiences in the future or maybe not bad experiences but they something bad has happened like uh you know slow play or whatever like that they've made a lot of strides or a lot of strides to improve themselves i think i i think there's one of the elements of japanese culture is when you're doing your hobby whatever it is whether it's fly fishing or motorcycle maintenance or whatever it is, it's a chance for you to be your best. Yeah. And so when I see people playing Magic here, they are being the best people that they can be, not mm. no, just because they have to conform to the school or to the office that they're stuck in every day and they have to kind of live up to other people's expectations but for a lot of people japanese magic players this is where they get to set their own expectations and they get to make their own fun now mm. if i could just convince the local edh players here <laughs> to like cut out some of the power cards and try more interesting combat dynamics i would be a little happier but it's not happening I can't. Hmm. I. It, it's just pure brokenness and combo ridiculousness. We'll yeah. save the EDH chat for another time. <laughs> but okay. Um, before we wrap up, is there uh, anything else you want to say? Do you want to? Uh, how do I say? Do you want to like uh, promote a website or you know? We already talked a little bit about your YouTube channel. Do you want to share your Twitter handle? Anything? Um, well, first of all, I do want to apologize. I've never really publicly went out and said it uh, too much, but I do, you know, my channel had a thousand, over a thousand subscribers, and the reason I stopped uh, making my YouTube channel was that uh, editing it, uh, because I recognize that I am a non-binary person and watching myself uh, editing, it was a really painful experience and it caused a lot of stress. So that's why I stopped doing videos. And Well, uh, well thanks for coming on the podcast. <laughs> well, talking's easy. Yes, um, ta exactly. Talking, <laughs> talking's easy. Uh, and uh, I, I, do t I, I do think that Magic has so many wonderful people, but... You know, especially in the States, there's a bunch of jerks. So, you know, if you see people being disrespectful, if you see people being rude, please call tell them, call yeah. it out. You know, don't let people make magic tournaments unfun for other people. 
Yeah. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me on uh, Twitter, my handle is Lane Kaplan, L-A-I-N-K-A-P-L-A-N. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there today. Okay. But great. Uh, I hope that I can come back. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, dude, I'm looking forward to doing. I'm looking forward to doing more uh, shows with you. I think there's a, a lot of different possibilities, a lot of uh, good topics that we can cover in the future. Yeah, I have opinions. I have plenty of opinions <laughs> and uh, stories I, and stories. Uh, I, you know, I've, I, I've got a lot of things up my sleeve. But with that being said, I feel like I, I feel a little embarrassed for me talking a little too much today. <laughs> but uh, I think I, it's very I, informative. I think uh, people can learn a lot about what magic was like, especially the people that are living in Japan right now. They don't know how good they have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it now it. Now is the best time to be playing Magic of any time that I've been here in Japan. And I feel very confident that two years from now, if you ask me the same question, I'm probably going to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, now is a better time <laughs> than two years ago. Like, I, I feel so confident in the game that it's going to keep, uh, keep growing, growing keep and issues are going to get rolled out and ironed out and things yeah. are going to get better in the future. Okay, well, that will do it for today's show. We hope you've enjoyed listening about MTG in Japan and hope that you know you listeners will come back next time to learn more about the comings and goings of MTG, not only in Japan, but also in Asia. If you have any comments or suggestions for future shows, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Yoshwanky, or you can contact me through uh, my website, uh, www.thejapanhobbyist.com. By the way, you should tell them how to spell Yoshwanki. It's S C H W E N K Y. That's not an easy. It's not an easy name to spell. I was yeah, perplexed by I it recognize. before. I realize that now. So yeah, Y O S C H W E N K Y. Yoshwanki. Yeah. Hey. All right. Well, thanks for listening. See you guys later. Peace.